Welcome to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico, and joining me is... Scotty Hertz. Uh, Adam, have you heard? Are the, are the truckers coming through town? Are they going to boot it down the Hanlon or any hot gossip on that uh, I don't. I don't believe so. Um, that's uh, That would be kind of out of their way. Uh, but it's the royal city. I don't understand. Like, <laughs> <laughs> not that royal. Like not like uh, like royal. <laughs> you know, you got to think Queen of Canada now. Like Queen Romana. Like the, she, uh, she, she, she hasn't endorsed the royal city. You see, and is she on one of the trucks? I guess we need we'll, we'll deal with this topic <laughs> another day. It's going to suck up too much time, probably. And uh, air and space. I, I, I believe I believe the the current whereabouts of Queen Romana are unknown, and um, we'll have to it, wait for her next communique. Would it be jail anyway? Okay. Oh, if only. Anyway, open sources is CFRU's political and current affairs discussion show. And you can find us here every Thursday at 5 p.m. as we talk about the latest news items from Guelph, Ontario, Canada, and around the world. And we sometimes interview local newsmakers and politicians, which this week will be the War II City Councilor Rodrigo Goller, who will talk to us about some of the recent doings around City Council, some of the issues that are coming up, and whether or not he intends to run for re-election. That will be at the bottom half of the hour. Before that, we're going to talk about a few items from the news this week, including the growing humanitarian crisis in Afghanistan. Poverty, hunger, and the deterioration of women's rights are all big problems. What can we do about it? But first, we have to go, I mean, speaking of delusions of grandeur, back to Ukraine, where Mm. Vladimir Putin has got 100,000 troops on the border. Uh, he's doing war games in Belarus. Uh, he's mysteriously quiet, despite the fact he's the center of his, <laughs> a growing international crisis. He's mm. keeping his powder pretty dry. Um, but things are kind of getting more and more serious. Uh, Joe Biden, the president of the United States, despite what some people think, uh, is <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I had to is like uh, talking about. Uh, putting troops into American troops into Europe uh, to, I guess, help offset the, the growing Russian presence. Uh, 8,500 American troops are on high alert for emergency deployments. Uh, even the Finns and the Swedes are, are kind of concerned over this one and are talking about maybe, you know, signing up with NATO themselves, which would be a huge change of pace from those traditionally neutral places. So I guess, um, war question mark <laughs> or a, a giant flex yeah the flex of the century so far yeah it's uh it's looking that way although putin russia and even some of the messaging coming out from ukraine is like okay just everybody you know stay cool mm-hmm. uh and but the it was just announced, and uh, we we were recording on Wednesday about Canada extending its military operation in the Ukraine for another three years. Now that may surprise some people to say, "What we have a military operation in Ukraine?" This is the trainers that they talk about. Well, we have people training people there, and I guess they're going to uh, have to speed it up a bit if all of this. Uh, what, what did the U.S. aid? It was called lethal aid. The U.S. has sent lethal aid mm-hmm. uh, to the to the Ukraine, so. People will need to know how to use that lethal aid. But part of the announcement uh, today was that 
Canada is sending non-lethal weapons, which I assume is, you know, pepper spray and the like. I don't know how that's going to work out. It's definitely not Nerf. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was weird because it was very specific. We're sending non-lethal weapons. But this uh, the, the number of trainers and personnel may expand to potentially 400. And this is a bit of a side deal, I guess. It's not really as part of NATO because, and this is one of the overarching issues, is that Ukraine isn't part of NATO, but they have a, a special relationship. I'm trying to... Uh, remember the name or at least where i wrote it in my notes but it was oh yes enhanced opportunity partner interoperability <laughs> is the official relationship the special relationship that nato has with ukraine the long yeah. waltz that they have been doing will they join won't they join and this is one of putin's if not the biggest issue with him although he's insistent that you know well we're, we're within our own borders we can do what we want even though it's like right on the line right mm -hmm. strike a pose and it's 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 quite the pose yeah it's um there's a big question about what his goal is here because putin always people talk about how he's kind of more of a strategic thinker than he is kind of like a a crazy dictator who just, you know, rolls up to the border of a country and wags his wang in the air. Um, he wants something out of this. And what it is, we aren't exactly sure. What we do know about Putin, I heard somebody explain this, so that none of these are my own ideas, that, uh, you know, he wants basically a couple of things. He wants to ensure the power of Russia over Eastern Europe. He wants to assert authority over these old Soviet bloc countries to make them... Um, whether it's by force or by fear, uh, make them reliant on him and not on Western influences like the U.S. and NATO. And he wants to undermine NATO. He wants, you know, he's he as an ex KGB guy, he's kind of has this obsessive mindset that, you know, um, the the U.S. won and the USSR is gone. So now the U.S. has to go. Um, and all this is kind of blown up in his face. The NATO alliance is stronger than ever. Um, the U.S. is expanding its influence into Eastern Europe. He's uniting European countries. I mean, this is this is at a time when you know Brexit has happened. It's over. Uh, you have different countries across Europe who are flirting outright with authoritarianism, if not have outright embraced it. But I mean, here's uh, a, a situation where he's brought everyone together because nobody wants. Uh, a war, but I mean, he's pushed everybody right up to the brink of it. So what, I'm, I mean, the, the ultimate question in all of this is what does he want out of this? Um, does he want like some guarantee that um, Ukraine will never join NATO? Well, that's not going to happen. I mean, it was always never a sure thing in the first place, but you know, it takes years to get people um, to become a part of NATO because there's various studies, defense studies and things that have to be done. And, you know, no one's going <laughs> to at this point, no one's going to come up and say, you know, all right, Ukraine will never join NATO because, I mean, that's going to appease him. So, you know, it's it's curious what it, I mean, this could it, it could also be a matter that uh, Putin's strategic thinking is in, in this specific instance may be overstated that maybe he's just pushed everybody too far too fast. And and now he even he his silence is even a representation of how he's trying to think of how to back himself out of this corner. He's painted himself in. I mean, that could be a possibility too, but I mean, the, the, the ultimate question in all of this is what does Putin want? And um, I, I guess is, is the situation too far gone for him to 
get whatever he wanted out of this um, is, 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 has that, you know, train come and gone, so to speak. And of course, somebody's trying to divine from <clears throat> Russian state media as to what, uh, what are they actually thinking? Mm-hmm. And it, it's been reported, and I, I have had a look at Russia today. It's one of the more, I'm, I'm not even going to say reliable, but it's one that I will look at to try and, you know, find find the story with a large grain it's, of salt. It's not without its uses. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's uh, it's not screaming war, but it's obviously mm. covering all, you know, covering all of these issues. But there's no, there isn't the... Um, rage there i guess that there was in 2014 when uh so if we if we go back a little bit it was uh victor yanukovych was president of ukraine who was aligned very tightly with with russia he's actually from the donbass which is the area in well seems to be the area in question the the concerns about the invasion of ukraine i personally think and others do too that if they're going to invade anywhere if it does happen it'll be these breakaway republics because the breakaway republics of the Donbass don't consider themselves part of the Ukraine right now. Mm. Technically they are, but it, it's this crossover area that's gone back and forth from Soviet times and even pre-Soviet times. And that's the, that was interesting too. It was um, CBC managed to get access, which is very difficult to do. And of course they do those long pan shots and there's still lots of remains of like, actual soviet stuff like mm-hmm. lenin's head and those kinds of things so it's not as if you know the 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 influx of of russians into that area and uh the infrastructure i guess it was mostly mining coal mining uh happened in those times so there is there is a relationship there as to whether it's you know going to end up with the border being redrawn as it was in Crimea. And it was the same kind of thing, this back and forth, because they're, they are cousins. They're, Ukraine and Russia are tighter cousins than we are probably with the U S right. It's mm-hmm. neighbors versus cousins. Like there's, there's a ton more overlap there in terms of its evolution. So this is the, this is the question. Is it just going to be those two? Are they going to go all the way to Kiev? And then on the, on the Ukrainian side, and this was interesting too. Christian uh, Freeland, who is the, uh, this current government's, our government's expert on this. She is the expert on the file because she is Ukrainian mm-hmm. uh, and has spoken at length about this and, of course, uh, had repercussions against her from the Russian government. Finally appeared. She was in the background of this presser with uh, Trudeau today. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was interesting. I think they're kind of keeping her in in the background. Mm-hmm. Whereas she she would have normally have been the spokesperson on this. It's now Melanie Jolie. But because of her, she is the, she's not just like the liberal government's expert. She's like a, a, you know, a Canadian, probably even a global expert, speaks Russian, you know, all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So it was surprising that she finally, I don't think she said anything to, to the effect. But the problem is, is, that, is that the Russian government will pounce because of Christy Phelan's, I think we've talked about this before, her family background. Her, uh, yeah. her grandfather was kind of tangled up with the Nazis. Mm-hmm. Uh on on their side but again that's another story but i think that's why they're keeping her in the background because that that will be the narrative it's like well you know she's never actually said she's never actually talked about her grandfather the nazi um so canada is is sort of doing what canada does that little the little dance like okay we're gonna give you some non-lethal stuff and we're gonna give you some money but the thing is we're the canada is going to have soldiers there uh, U.S. is saying, okay, we're going to reinforce the NATO countries, right? Mm-hmm. 
U.S. isn't saying we are going to send eight. I think the number was 8,000 that was given. They're not saying we're going to send them into Kiev or we're going to send them, you know, to the Donbass. It's like shoring up everything around Ukraine. So it's, I, you know, now mind you, they are sending weapons, et cetera, but I'm not, you know, in terms of counting on uh, people to use those weapons that are not Ukrainians or, you know, direct allies aside from NATO. Mm-hmm. Is the great question. Mm-hmm. I mean, Putin doesn't want war either. I think in his, I was going to say heart of hearts, but that's a little George, <laughs> that's a little George W. Bushy for my taste. Um, you know, in his in in the, in the dark pit in his chest, he doesn't want war. Um, he he just kind of wants to put the screws to the U.S. and NATO, and um, you, you know, he he's he's. He, he realizes his power is kind of precarious too. And even on like the streets in Moscow right now, as you said, people are like, I don't like, I don't, I have no idea why we might be going to war over the Ukraine. Um, whatever sort of nationalist tendencies, maybe there is in Moscow at the moment. That's sort of true. That sort of drove uh, what happened in 2014. Um, maybe has dissipated somewhat. People are struggling, you know, there's economic struggles in Russia, there's pandemic struggles in Russia. So people mm-hmm. are just not, terribly interested in you know that kind of nationalist fight right now and and so again does does putin put all his chips on this and in a world where and this isn't just a russian thing or an eastern europe thing you know any any move to retreat is weakness any move to like step back and, and get out of somebody's face is weakness. You are in somebody's face until they back off. Um, that's kind of the, the modern definition of strength for a lot of these strong men. Um, you know, is, is this, is this, is this the geopolitical equivalent of two guys going, what's up? What's up? Like outside the bar at two o'clock in the morning. I, I think that's kind of the, the, oh, the concern. Yeah. We're going to what's up our way into a war. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what it feels like. And of course, the, the stakes are much greater. And that, the problem is, if the whole thing kicks off by accident. Yeah, yeah. Or if it's if it's one, like, like the Malaysian plane, there were more shot things down. at play, but, the, you know, a targeted assassination or something, then that is the, is the light to the fuse, right? Hopefully not. I mean, that's but also I mean, more to Russians, Russia's current tactics with cyber warfare and, and sending in people undercover. You know, that's kind of how that would start and then they would create a justification. And, yeah. yeah. And the, uh, the U S kind of revealed its sanctions or what it would plan to do. And uh, it would be pretty strangling for Russia to be, it's called the SWIFT system that takes care of international transactions. And I believe it's pegged to, or runs uh, along with the American dollar that the U S dollar is like the global reserve standard, right? So mm-hmm. if the U S decided to throttle back on that or tighten the screws on that, that would be huge. Mm-hmm. That would be huge because you can't you can't do international transactions to the level that you did before, and there's tons. Whether it's oil and gas, I mean, you name it, right? You need or weapons, <clears throat> you need that functionality, and if that would be and and Germany too is I'm not, I'm not playing a bit of a game, but Germany is very reliant on on Russia for uh, gas, natural resources, right? Yeah. Gas, oil, right? It's and there's there's a pipeline somewhere. Um, they have a deal going, and they are. Well, not to rightly not, so, kind of holding back a bit. It's like, uh, you know. Well, not to to sort of push this topic out a bit further, though. But yeah, like Russia is very reliant on 
it's gas to make money. That's like the only economic thing that's going on in Russia right now. So, oh yeah, um, I mean that's kind of probably another factor into this that we will have to put on hold till maybe next week if if this is still a thing. Um, another thing that's a thing right now, so to speak, is a humanitarian crisis in Afghanistan. Um, people are starving. Uh, the UN. And various UN agencies are predicting that uh, 98%, um, 98% of people in Afghanistan are at risk of going hungry. The UN is trying to raise $5 billion for humanitarian aid. Uh, meanwhile, on the ground there, um, there's this really horrible Sky News report and like the pictures of it too, where apparently people are selling their kidneys oh, yeah, to yeah. raise money. Um, 1,150 pounds for a kidney, which uh, I don't know the exact exchange rate right now, but I'm going to say is 2,300 bucks. Uh, that sounds like it might be in the ballpark. Yeah. yeah so, you know, 2,300 bucks for a kidney just so your, your family can eat for another couple of months. Not great. Not great. Oh, and I wanted that pipeline in itself would be interesting. Like who, okay. Who is orchestrating? That would be a fantastic question, but yeah. again, another day probably. So yeah, here we go. Another, this was a, this is the remains of a NATO operation. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Right? True. Uh, true. So it's these, these stories are sort of tied to each other. This one didn't go well. There was talks in Norway this past week with the Taliban, still not recognizing the Taliban. They're not saying, you know, there, there was this diplomacy going on, which, which Norway is famous for mm-hmm. home of the peace prize. Right. So they were having mm-hmm. this, these uh, discussions to try and see, well, where, where can we go with this? And of course it's the, the, the Taliban, the de facto Afghanistan government are asking for aid and the UN are as well. The UN, well, no, sorry. The Taliban are asking for the, uh, Af- the funds, which I think is in the range of $10 billion, have, mm-hmm. which have been frozen by the U S it's kind of like an embargo. Not only is there a U.S. embargo, we're like we are going to turn the screws on you. There is an embargo, but there is also the money that was um, like, st- let's say store banked stored internationally. Right. And they've just held back on that. And that could, would definitely, go a long way to alleviate some of this, but I, I guess America's fear. And of course they're probably very bitter. It's like, no, we're not giving you this. And I was thinking, you know, is, is there a way, is it even legal? Could the U S uh, release those funds and just put them through the UN? Like the UN is asking for, I don't know if that would be uh, a faux pas, but it would be better than just, you know, sitting on this cash. That is, people starve. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's it. Like 98%. That means everyone you see in Afghanistan is hungry. And that's, Oh yeah, I did. I saw that story about the, the organ donation. It's like, you know, desperate times. And of course the, the, you know, the vultures will, will swing in and do what they can to make that happen. Um, plus, I mean, one of the other problems with this whole thing too, is that, these are the exact conditions that give rise to, or at least embolden groups like ISIS. Mm-hmm. And that's never been, so as you've seen in Syria is kicked off again, the ISIS, ISIS look for a weakness and then they swoop right in. Right. So, I mean, say what you will about the Taliban and nobody really likes the Taliban, but they hate ISIS. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, that that's saying something because they're, they sort of, travel in similar circles it's their philosophy is similar but i you know everybody hates isis so this is going to be a problem <laughs> yeah. in, in addition to the the hunger and everything that's going on when you have a vacuum like that well as it was in syria 
ISIS are going to make a comeback and it's going to be bad. Right. ISIS is, you know, t- the Taliban is scary. ISIS is crazy scary. Um, and if you can, if you have to choose between tra- crazy and scary, you choose scary. Um, yeah. I, it's, it's worth pointing out too that, you know, one thing kind of authoritarians, if you, if you can say if there's a good thing about authoritarian regimes, you know, it's uh, that it does ensure relative safety for the population, except that's not kind of what's happening in Afghanistan. Indeed, there was a bombing where uh, seven people were killed and nine people were injured. So security is still an issue there. So you get the Taliban back with all their, you know, Sharia law craziness, but you don't get, you know, the, the security that comes with living under an authoritarian. At the same time, you're also, you know, starving and subsisting and, you know, shining shoes when you used to be a university professor and all these other kind of things that are going on there. And yeah, the, the, I think there are a lot of things going on. Nobody wants to be the first to recognize the Taliban. That's, that's a bad move. Um, no one wants to legitimize the Taliban. Uh, the United States, I think the, the current administration is probably even if they won't admit it, it's probably being held back by the same attacks that were levied against the Obama administration when they um, approved the, nu- the Iran nuclear deal and unfroze Iranian assets. And then a bunch of people on the right in the United States said, you just gave Iran $4 billion. And it's like, well, no, we just we just let them use their ATM card to take it out of the bank. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, you know, it, it, in, in the midst of all this geopolitical stuff, uh, people are starving. And there was somebody who wrote a thing for the New York Times uh, who was part of an international aid, aid agency, um, the International Crisis Group. She said, you know, say what you want about the Taliban, but without like even a minimal level of a public service and administration state um, and without international aid, which the Afghan economy had been built on for 20 years, people are going to starve. So it, you know, leaving the politics aside for a minute, if it's at all possible nowadays to leave the politics aside, what's the choice? Let pe- let like millions of people starve, or you know, give them the resources they need to hopefully pull the country together. You know, yeah, we can. F- I mean, and, and this is not to say the Taliban aren't bad dudes. They are definitely bad dudes. Um, there, you know, there's also reports of. People in Afghanistan who identify as LGBTQ are basically, you know, locking themselves down at home, not because of COVID, but because they're afraid to go outside. Because if you're um, a a person who is known to be LGBTQ plus, you are uh, a target in Afghanistan. Like women who used to enjoy positions of authority now have to burka up and, you know, give up their jobs because, you know, that's according to the Taliban, you know, uh, that's. That's the way women are supposed to be. So, yeah, all the, like that's. I think that's a tomorrow problem, and I hate to phrase it that way, but sometimes you have to solve problems one at a time. And problem number one is like people have got to eat. <laughs> oh, absolutely, H- hunger transcends all of that, right? Yeah, the, in terms of the basics. But the, it you mentioned, and that the things is being driven by is that when you have a theocracy like this with no real infrastructure, right? There's no mm-hmm. they, the the, mm-hmm. the mechanisms that ran the place were trashed. Mm-hmm. So it's like, well, we're just going to do this now. We're going to use Sharia law now, and but that's <laughs> depending on your philosophy. It's like it's only so useful, right? Like it doesn't yeah. it doesn't help you with the day to day, right? So 
this is the problem. It's the, there'll be no movement for it. As you said, LGBT women and girls like this is, this is one of the criteria that other countries, I, and I think this came up in Norway as well. It's like, look, you need to at least bring back like the education for girls and women as mm-hmm. it was before. And they're like, well, you know, they're balking at that. They're like, no human rights in general. Um, Counterterrorism mentioned with ISIS is like, you know, you need to, you really need to be on top of that as well, but they're not. Mm-hmm. And the economy's collapsed. There is no, what is the economy? There, yeah. But it's not there. Yeah. So, you know, what's, what's going to happen? Is it in the past? Is, is it going to become opium again and drug like yeah, quick, quick, easy money. And you'll just put aside your, your theocratic beliefs just to get this moving, which, you know, that, that kind of stuff is the antithesis of, of Islam. Right. Yeah. But because, well, you know, we're stuck and like, it's just, it's getting ridiculous on both sides in terms of like, if we, you're seriously going to hold back this from the, from people that have never, that haven't done anything. Mm-hmm. Right. It's, it's just, plus the, we, with every, uh, you know, with topic one, the U S are pretty busy. Yeah. <laughs> so I've heard of, there's been a bit out of uh, Pakistan trying to help. Pakistan has 3 million Afghan refugees there. Yeah. So there's, uh, you know, that's the border on the one side. And then to the other side is China, who haven't really taken up the torch yet. Uh, although there has been a bit of aid coming from China as well. It hasn't been extensive or anything, but there, there's, so there's a relationship with those, maybe not the best, but there are connections between those two countries. Mm-hmm. I mean, if anyone in that area is is set to help, it would be China. Yeah. And if China, as it was when uh, the U.S. were dominant there or the NATO force or whatever the heck you want to, <laughs> however you want to put it, um, was natural resources, rare earth metals and things that China needs for production. Because it's never just about the government. It's about the resources, right? Yeah. So on, yeah, if, if the Taliban are willing to unlock that and let foreign interests in there that aren't necessarily um, Islamic based, um, you know, and China might want to make some kind of deal because there are, there's a, the point where the Uyghur people cross over is yeah. to the East in Afghanistan. Right. So will there be some sort of deal where China says, well, you know, you give us these people back or this piece of territory back, you know, shades of the Donbass, right? Yeah. And then we'll talk. So that's, you know, something that the West needs to be mindful of as well. If they're mindful of it anymore, if they don't care, they're just so embarrassed, they ram saying they, but it includes Canada to a degree as we were there. Yeah. Part of the NATO force. Uh, And then after the U.S. ran away, uh, or did they leave? I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> left the mess. Yeah. Well, we have to leave the mess and uh, run away ourselves for a break. Uh, you are listening to Open Source 12 here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. Some of them would kid me about my little son. Of course, they knew where I'd got the name. Of course, I told them about that little boy of mine. And how his first word about the truck was, giddy up, go. Well, today I was barreling down old 66 when up beside me pulled a brand new diesel rig. Both stacks blowing black coal. And as he pulled around and back in front of me, a big lump came in my throat. And my eyes watered like I had a bad old cold. A little sign on the back of the truck that read, Giddy Up Go. 
And that was our Royal Cat Records pick of the week. Royal Cat Records 21 Mac downtown. And to try and be on point, mm-hmm. reminds me of driving around in the old 73 Pontiac with the eight tracks that came with it. Looking for trucks to see if they'll honk their horns at us. That song was Giddy Up Go by Red Sovine, a truck driving classic. And if you're wondering as to why that trucker's family left, I believe it may have been because he was unvaccinated. I'm not certain of that, but it's entirely possible that Ma just up and left with a little giddy up go because, you know, because I mean, of we, reasons, we, because we, of reasons. Right? We shouldn't laugh because, I mean, there are like, there's like genuine heartbreak out there over people who are taking political stands about not getting vaccinated. But yeah. it's uh, in those days, it's probably swine flu, but, you know, it, it carries forward to the to this time. So. Okay, uh, let's talk about local stuff instead. So uh, we invited Councillor Rodrigo Goller on the show this week to talk about some council stuff. Uh, We approved the transportation master plan at Monday's meeting. Uh, There's a big vote uh, this coming Monday about whether or not Guelph supports uh, taking action against uh, Quebec Bill 21 in court. And I mean, it's the beginning of the year still technically, although it's almost the end of January. But we ask uh, we ask Councillor Guller about all the places he wants to go with uh, these last few months of the term, and if he's running for re-election. So Ooh. stay so stay tuned for that answer starting right now. Well, Rodrigo Guller, thank you so much for hopping on with me today. Thanks for having me, Adam. Good to be here. Uh, first things, I mean, maybe just generally. Um, we put some distance between us and the budget uh, a couple of months now. I know there was a lot of debate at the time about, you know, whether what was affordable, what's not affordable. I mean, given some, I guess, some time to come down off the the post-budget hangover. uh, What are are your thoughts now? What are uh, are, are your concerns about the, you know, how the city's spending money and affordability and, I guess just looking back with a couple of months hindsight, how does it feel that decision? Yeah, no, I think I think it's it's um, really cost catching up to us. You know, we a few years ago the city um, went ahead and created an asset management master plan, and it dictated the the cost and the pace of maintaining our existing infrastructure and replacing that infrastructure, and um, and and it was. It was a higher budget that we had seen in the in the last couple of years, uh, and I think that's a culmination of um, overall prices are going up, and when materials costs go up, you know the city also has to pay those those higher costs. So so we're not spared by by the the, the general prices going up, but also um, it, we we got to the point with our infrastructure that um, it's either going to cost us more to maintain older buildings that are, are no longer, uh, you know, are at the end of their, their life cycle, uh, then it would be to, to build new ones. So it, w- it was laying the groundwork for that, laying the groundwork for replacement of older facilities. Um, and, you know, it's, it's hard because a lot of these things you don't see, you know, the, the, the pipes under the ground, the sewers, um, the our roads, um, our, our city facilities, are uh, you know a lot of it, and you know even with our water taking, you know the, there's the water rates also went up, but mm-hmm. it's infrastructure that we have to maintain, um, uh, so that you know we, we spend the money now, so we don't have to spend more later. So in a way, it is um, it is uh, hard to 
to, to sometimes accept that the fiscally responsible thing is to repair your house now, even though it has a higher ticket than to let it fall down. And then maybe in five, 10 years, someone else is paying for it, but it's going to be more. So I, I think in, in retrospect, um, it's uh, a necessary uh, stage that we're in as a city, you know, just having to replace things. Have you been able to sell that to concerned citizens? And, you know, you're probably one of the most finger or ear to the ground counselors in terms of your constituent interaction. So uh, mm-hmm. what, 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 what feedback have you been getting? Yeah, I think, I think, uh, Largely, my my constituents that I've spoken to um, understand that that costs go up, um, and and that we are working hard to deliver good uh, value for for the property tax dollars that that the municipality gets. Of course, many people in the city are, are not happy. Uh, <laughs> just in general, prices costs going up. Uh, folks that you know do not want a, a downtown library. They do not want us to build a South End Rec Center. But all of those things cost money, um, and I think it's it's really the kind of city that we want to have. Do we want to have a, a bare bones, bare services municipality um, that that does the bare minimum to meet uh, our requirements uh, under the municipal act, or do we want a city that provides more amenities to our community? Uh, and I think through uh, extensive master planning programs and an extensive um, community engagement, you know, we, we have developed um, a solid strategy and a solid uh, Guelph forward-looking uh, city master plan. Um, and that guides us and tells us that people are interested in having uh, more more amenities. You know, we, we want our snow collection to be done well and to be done quickly. That included getting, you know, half a dozen new sidewalk plows this year just mm-hmm. to make sure that we could meet the demand of our community members. And now I still hear from some people that say, well, people should sh- shovel their own driveways mm-hmm. or their own uh, sidewalks. The city shouldn't be doing that. And then it becomes that equity issue. You know, you have many people who are able-bodied. They have the time and the energy to do those things. But there's also members of our community that uh, are do not have the same ability, whether it is because of their work or their physical ability, that um, plowing their their or clearing their their sidewalk would become uh, uh, an equity issue. So yeah, yeah. Or they don't have the the time to dress up like a unicorn and the, the <laughs> snowplow, like one post I saw on social media. Uh, <laughs> The, the other side of this, too, um, housing affordability, I know it's been an issue in the news lately. I don't know if you had a chance to see an article that uh, Graham wrote for the Tribune um, where he did a, a data analysis. It turns out one in five houses in Guelph um, are not occupied by the people who own them, which would suggest and there's no really kind of way to break it down. But I mean, it's a lot of people buying rental properties or uh, sitting on houses to, to park money or perhaps are. Um, you know, uh, using them as a second home, twenty uh, percent mm-hmm. is a big number. Uh, well, so I, I guess how how can is there any way yeah. that you, as a member of city government, like can city government attack that um, in, in any way? To because I mean, the big part of this isn't just that things are costing more in the city. The very nature of living in the city is costing more. Yeah, no, and 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 that is that that is certainly uh, a concern, um, and and I think that there is 
um, well, on, on the one hand, to answer your question, um, can this municipality do anything to, to force housing affordability? Uh, I am afraid not directly. It is, it is outside of the scope of what the city can directly do. Uh, we can make sure that the services are there, uh, but we don't really have a tool to, to prevent people from coming from out of the town and, and purchasing a property in the open market. Uh, that is just the nature of a, of a real estate uh, system that we have across the country. Uh, but what we can do to, to support the, um, the affordability is to provide for more opportunities for, for rental. So we generally uh, approve when, when developers come, they say they're going to build purpose rental apartment buildings. Uh, we, we look favorably on those. So we encourage that uh, because we need to make room a whole, the, the whole spectrum of housing, not just home purchase, which I know that it's, you know, uh, w- what a lot of people think about in terms of the, the ideal, but more and more I'm hearing that, uh, that the next generation is, is looking at uh, renting as a way to, um, and, and also smaller spaces. We, you know, we passed um, bylaws to allow for tiny homes in, in backyards. Now in 2011, sorry, 2021, I think we only had four or five of those built in the city. But the hope is that as we get more of those, we'll have more accessory apartments and there'll be more affordable rental opportunities here in the city. Uh, and at the same time, if that is possible, then it also opens the door. You know, perhaps you can afford to buy a home if you can rent out, you know, a basement apartment or, or a second floor. So we are, you know, we have some of those tools to, to help with affordability. Uh, but, you know, we cannot tell... Um, you know, the real estate agents, who they can sell houses to or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, let's turn our attention to um, this past Monday's meeting, the, tra- the transportation master plan. Um, mm-hmm. Are you feeling confident about uh, how that plan lays out? I, I mean, particularly on, on the aspect of modal shift, because a lot of the stuff we're talking about when it comes to building houses, a lot of it comes down to parking. Parking's not necessarily uh a big thing if you have like a family of four and there are three cars because everyone has to go different places because there just isn't the transit accessibility or the the active transportation links people want so uh does does the tmp help us get there Uh, i think it will um not not as quickly as i would like but then we have to balance that affordability how much do we want to pay up front And, and a lot of the debate um, last night around uh, city council was how much do we want to spend on the uh, on this master plan because it costs more money. We approved at the end of last year uh, our new public transit master plan that is going to see enhanced routes throughout the city. That costs a lot of money. Um, having more dedicated bus routes, having more active transportation routes. Uh, I am excited that the plan includes some things like year-round maintained active transportation routes that connect neighborhoods. That is, I think, very important in getting people to realistically uh, be able to use, you know, a bike or take the bus to to get to work if there is year-round maintained routes. Uh, but, but there is the cost of, of that. So uh, I think it struck a good balance uh, between laying the groundwork for the cycling spine network and for the the, the maintained active transportation network, uh, while not 
not building everything next year because of, of the question of affordability. I also like that uh, we gave direction to uh, to create a fund so that the revenue that we generate from um, well ticket revenue from the red light cameras and the automated speed enforcement that is going to support the building of this infrastructure. Um, I think it's 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 exciting to have alternate um, revenue sources so that not everything's coming from the property tax base. Uh, and I like that staff down the road are going to explore other user pay fees so that people that use on-street parking, uh, you know, maybe have a, a citywide permit system. That is something that is embedded in the plan and that staff are going to work it into their um, into their work plans in the next couple of years. Uh, I am particularly interested in that one. Uh, even though we didn't discuss it, I knew that it was going through and didn't want to bring it up. Uh, <laughs> but I've heard from a lot of people that don't like having that neighbor parking in front of their, uh, if their, their house, their apartment year round. Uh, it creates problems with snow uh, cleanup and uh, it doesn't let guests, visitors park there. So it'd be good to see an expanded um, permit system throughout the city. It also brings a bit more equity because at this point, the only place where we are enforcing parking is the downtown. So if you go downtown, there is a two hour limit. Uh, you cannot park for longer than that. But the rest of the city, that limit isn't there. If you go downtown and you park in a municipal lot, you have to pay for it. But if you go to any other municipal lot, you are not paying for it. So in a way, uh, there is a burden on the downtown and on the downtown businesses that businesses and, and properties throughout the rest of the city uh, don't have to, they don't have to uh, bear that same burden. So I, I would like to see a more equal playing field so that it's it's more competitive for downtown um, and more equitable for for the city as a whole. I know one of your big things is road safety. Does does the plan do enough uh, for you on on that issue? Uh, yeah, well, as part of the plan, we uh, or what was approved uh, in, in the past, uh, we will see the speed reduction to forty kilometers per hour uh, across the the city uh, happening in the next um, well this spring. Um, and because we do have revenue coming in from the red lights and the automated speed enforcement, that will go to more red light cameras and more automated speed enforcement. Um, I mean, do I wish that we could have rolled it out sooner? Yes. But would I have gotten support for that from council? No. So um, <laughs> it's it's that balance of, of how how much can we do uh, in a way that is, is affordable and that doesn't give us... Um, even higher property tax rates. Right, right, right. I want to look ahead a bit. Um, this coming Monday, uh, Mayor Guthrie is bringing a motion uh, to support the uh, support of court challenge to Quebec's Bill 21. Um, get, I'm going to ask you to look at it a couple of ways. Um, mm -hmm. First, uh, is that is this something that is kind of city of Guelph business? Uh, I mean, even leaving aside like maybe personal moral priorities, which I, I think people, a lot of people would agree this sort of fits, but um, doesn't matter what Guelph, Ontario has to, what, what Guelph, Ontario thinks about Bill 21. Do you think that makes a difference? I think, um, I think it's, it's a matter of principle, just, just saying that the, the city would not support discrimination. Uh, Based on on you know r religious uh, uh, symbols uh, as 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 the bill would uh, 
would propose. Uh, we are not, you know, send, sending money. We'll, uh, we're just making a statement saying that that the city of Guelph and Guelph City Council would not support that. And I, and I think it is important that uh, Canada stand together and give a clear message that we don't want to see that happening because there is the the dangerous precedent. You know, if Quebec were to to put something like that, you know, what is stopping another province from doing something? You know, it's that 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 precedence. Um, and if uh, you have municipalities from across the country uh, given this statement, whether Bill Twenty One is approved or not, then the other provincial governments will know where municipalities and the population stand on this issue. Uh, will it? Uh, I don't know to what extent. Um, all of the municipalities' um, statements, you know, will, will they have any impact? Likely not. But in the case that it is approved or not, it does have an impact for our own province and for potential, you know, for the potential of that happening here. Mm-hmm. So you're a yes vote. Yes, and, and I, I, I suspect that it will be a unanimous vote. Uh, there may be a councillor who votes against <laughs> it on principle uh, because you know there's always someone that doesn't believe in symbolic uh, motions, and that's that's fair. But I think in this case, uh, it's it's important. You know who you mean. I know who you mean, and uh, we'll leave it to the the listener to 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 solve that Da Vinci Code. Um, we're in an election year. We're coming to the end of the term, so. Um, do you have any sort of goals, anything you want to kind of get done, anything you want to, you know, counsel to, you know, wrap up before you have to, uh, well, maybe we'll get to that question next, but before the end of, end of the term, let's say before October, what, uh, what's kind of on your personal agenda? Mm-hmm. Well, we have, um, a couple of, uh, of things coming up in, in in the next month, actually, that are interesting. We have the municipal accommodation tax coming up, uh, and also a, a rental property uh, licensing program. So I think it would be exciting to to license uh, Airbnbs so that we have a certain level of quality uh, that is that is present, and we have the ability to inspect locations and and demand that you know people meet a certain code uh, for the safety of people in Guelph, and also. Um, I think going back to that uh, affordability issue, if, if a lot of people are, you know, not during the pandemic, but post-pandemic are, mm-hmm. are renting short-term rentals, it does take away from the rental stock, which increases the cost of, of rental housing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would like to see that regulated in, in the city. I think that that's important. And I, I do look forward to the additional revenue from the municipal accommodation tax. Part of that will go back to the city to alleviate the burden on the property taxpayer. And also it will help us promote wealth. Uh, I think that is something that that we, we need to do. Um, I, I uh, was recently appointed to the board of the DGBA. Um, I have been particip- I've only been on two board meetings so far, but I'm excited to, uh, to work with them for the rest of my, my term um, um, and see you know, it is a, another pandemic year, but see how we can continue to promote downtown businesses. Um, and this is a, a particular time where um, location-based small businesses are really suffering, um, you know, with opening and closing. So many people are are struggling. So I think we we need to do what we can to promote everyone in Guelph to, to stay local. You know, instead of buying something online, see if you can go to a local shop and, and get it. I think uh, that is that is important and that is a message that I want to keep on giving uh, the, the rest of, uh, of the pandemic lockdown and, and moving forward. Uh, and along 
to that, we have a review of the 2021 patio program. So that is exciting. Uh, and it's not just limited to downtown, but uh, you know, places across the city are now able to take up some parking spaces uh, outside of their, their food venues um, and have some outdoor uh, tables and chairs. I would love to see more of that because it really does create that sense of community uh, that, well, because of the pandemic, we have been missing. So I am excited to see a return to that. Um, that is what we have in the in the um, in the forecast agenda for for the rest of this quarter. Mm. Um, besides besides that, I, I want to make sure that we don't in, embark in any other projects. You know, we have <laughs> already approved a a budget for this year and for next year. I don't want to be adding to that uh, um, by anything that we do this year. So I want to make sure that we're delivering good services, good value for money, but I, I am not interested in adding any more projects to the queue because I think we already have a good program of work underway. Mm-hmm. To rewind a bit, the, the, uh, the licensing, do we have any idea how many Airbnbs there are in Guelph? Like, is, like, is there any data supporting that that you are aware of? Uh, no, I mean, I mean I'm, I'm sure that the company Airbnb knows exactly how, well, how many yeah. there are. Uh, <laughs> but at this point, I, I until we see the report that's coming out on February 7th, I do not know that uh, that staff have reached out to them for that information. Mm-hmm. However, once staff get, council gives direction to move ahead with uh, with the program, uh, I'm sure we'll be able to find that. Um, I think that is the benefit of having a centralized body uh, right. doing it, and it's not you know 20 or 30 different organizations. There really is one big player, mm-hmm. uh, which which helps. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have uh, an excellent, you know, review system uh, that that helps uh, track all that. Uh, but I think it is it is it is fluid, and we may have seen a lot of those uh, short-term rentals shift to longer rentals for the duration of the pandemic because, right. well, traveling is down. But I am concerned that once people start to travel some more, people start coming to Guelph when we have, you know, reopen festivals with Hillside, with uh, that many, the many downtown festivals, that that may lead to another increase in the cost of rental housing. So, so that is something that I am, I am concerned about. I mean, it's worth noting, like all these things kind of tie together. We, we lost a big hotel last year um, that's being converted into student quarters. Um, but things do, you know, Guelph is a pretty busy travel town. People may not be aware of that, but there are a lot of conferences and tournaments yes. and things that draw people. So um, Airbnb uh, or people who use Airbnb might try to cash in and that could have a cascading effect on rental prices is, is what we're getting at. Yeah. And, and I think there's the, also the, the other side of the coin, it has a negative impact. I mean, it raises the cost of rentals, but it also for people that are, that are renting their, their properties on Airbnb, it helps with housing affordability. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's great for, you know, people that live in their home and they have an extra apartment in the basement on the second floor in the backyard that are renting it out. It's not ideal because then it, it also gives that benefit to people that own five or six properties across the city, uh, which is, you know, their, their right to, to do so. But uh, I think that's not what we want to su- focus on. You know, we, we want to support the, the, the folks that have one home and that, that may be struggling to, to pay for it. Mm-hmm. So you've laid out what you want to do for the, for, for the rest of the term. Uh, are you thinking about coming back for another term? 
Uh, yes, I, I will be <laughs> running for re-election. Uh, I have enjoyed um, my, my past uh, few years as a city councilor. I think it's really rewarding talking to my constituents, uh, really understanding uh, what uh, the different priorities are for different projects uh, and then advocating on their behalf uh, at city council uh, and then really digging into the work that our, our professional staff team does and understanding why they're recommending things in, in the way that they're uh, they're bringing those recommendations forward. Um, yeah, I, 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 I hope uh, if, if, uh, if, if the community is willing um, to, to be reelected, but it will be interesting because of the war boundary change. Yes, I was going to um, ask. <laughs> yeah, so, so War 2, where, where, I, where, where I live, um, um, is, is going to run into, through the downtown and all the way to from, well, from, from Woodland Road, Road, say, all the way to the river, um, so it, it incorporates all of St. Patrick's Ward, and and although you know I, I used to 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 live on that side of town and to rent there, but I'm you know that was 15 years ago, uh, <laughs> so I'll have to to reconnect with uh, with that uh, part of, of the new war too, uh, and it'll be it'll be great meeting a lot of people, um, but uh, yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see who chooses to run or not run. I mean as as far as I, I, I know, the mayor has declared that he's going to run, but I am not sure whether, um, you know, Bob Bell, who lives also in, in the new War Two, where mm -hmm. he'd be running again in War Two, uh, James Gordon, he actually he currently lives in Ward One, but he would be living in the in the new, the war, new war Two. Yeah. So we'll see how um, <laughs> how how things shape up. So just to be clear, you are sticking with Ward Two. Yes, because that oh, is where board too. Yeah. Okay. Yes, and, and I believe that as a councilor, you should uh, represent where you live, so you're connected to to the issues, and you can talk to your neighbors. And um, I think it it makes sense. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, I guess there's nothing left to say, but we will see you on the campaign trail, if not before. So, Rodrigo Goller, thank you so much for coming on Open Sources today. Thanks for your time, Adam. Good to see you. Okay, so if everyone's keeping score at home, we'll just put this up on the board. <laughs> oh, maybe you didn't hear that. There we go. So uh, Rodrigo Goller is on the board running for re-election this year. And we should add that with Mayor Guthrie because he told us first last summer he was going to run for a third term. So let's put Mayor Guthrie up there. There we go. And the winner is, well, we don't know yet. We have to wait for that one. <laughs> well, it's still, I mean, it, uh, a nomination's not open until May the 1st or the Monday after May of the 1st. It, anyway. Well, that's when they open or when they close? When they open, they close at the end of July. Oh, right. Okay. So there's I still lots of this. time. I follow Golf Political. I should know all of this. It's all right. <laughs> I will. Like I said, there's lots of time just to, you know, to think about stuff. Anyway, mm -hmm. that is it for this week's show. We hope you liked it. And if you want to stay connected to us at our website, go to opensourcesguelph.com. You can find us on Facebook at Open Sources Newswire. And we're on Twitter at OS underscore Guelph. You can listen to the show again by downloading it from our website every Monday at the Guelph Politicast channel on Podbean, or you can get it through your favorite podcast app at Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, and you can check out my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. And I'm Scotty Hertz on Facebook, Scotty Hertz on Twitter, and for all things CFRU, scheduling information when things are on, when we're on, check out CFRU.ca. 
And check out DJ Sounds Good to Me. She is here at the top of the hour on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. As for us, we will be back next Thursday at 5 p.m. for more open sources. And we will see you then.